Thanks, Carol. How are y'all doing this morning? Okay, here's, let's do this. So we've got kids recruit scheduled for the next few weeks. Go ahead and sign up today so we can be done. <laughs> right? That way Carol, yes, that way Carol can chill for a little while. Like, like, just if you're thinking about it, just go ahead and do it. If it's a complete flop, it's okay. Like, you, you're not signing in blood, um, uh, which is important to know because, because, like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if you're curious at all, go ahead and sign up. My name is Fred. Um, I am glad to see y'all today, uh, whether you're here in person or, or joining us online. I get to be the lead pastor here, and it's so fun to, um, uh, to, to see people. Um, it still isn't lost on me that we went through a worldwide pandemic where we were isolated for so long. So anytime we get to do something like this, um, or maybe it's just the extrovert in me, I get a little giddy inside, right? Um, uh, so, so, so there's that. Um, every week as I prepare a message, I do spend some time like listening to the Lord, not only for the message, but like what um, he wants to do in this group when we gather together and, and hear his word be taught. Um, and, and, and here's what I have been praying for today. One, like I always pray that you leave here with more faith and trust in Jesus than you had when you walked in. But two, here's what I'm asking Jesus to do, because I think this is what he's asking me to ask him to do. You know how that all goes, right? Like, is to let, that we as a church, let Jesus offend us today. Right? Like, like let's let him confront us. Let's let the Spirit of God speak to us in a place and in a way that maybe, just maybe, makes us feel a little bit prickly. That's what I hope happens today. And go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, and I'll tell you why. We're going to be in verses 24 through 30, six verses today. And, and as you're turning there, why, this is why I've been praying for us to do this. What we're going to see today is we're going to see Jesus say something uh, that I perceive was pretty offensive to the person who heard it, or at least had a very high potential to be offensive to the person that heard it. Not because Jesus was being offensive, but because sometimes the truth is offensive, right? It, it, it pushes us. And, and to be clear, here's what I mean by offended. Offended means this. It means it, it causes you to feel upset. It causes you to feel annoyed. It causes you to feel resentful or even angry, right? Anybody experience those feelings and thoughts ever, right? Speaking of a worldwide pandemic, did that bring some stuff up? Right? Like, 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 you know, anybody ever been there before? Listen, listen, have you ever heard someone say something to you or about you? Right? Maybe not even about you and mine, but say something about a group of people that you're associated with. And have you been offended by what they said or did? Or maybe this one, right? Have you ever been driving down the road minding your own business? Right? And somebody cuts you off and they gesture in such a way to make you realize that they think it was your fault. <laughs> right? That ever, and you're like, why? What, what, what did I do? I, I, I've been reading this book um, called Everything Sad is Untrue, written by a guy named Daniel Nairi, I believe is how you say his name. And it's his memoir of being a Christian Iranian refugee that got resettled to Oklahoma City, if you can imagine. So he has lots of stories about what it's like to, to come from an Iranian Christian family that had to leave the country because of their faith 
and be settled in Oklahoma City um, and, and to be a person from Iran in Oklahoma City that's a Christian and just all these stories. And, and he is this, this he, he's an incredible storyteller, brilliant author. It's such a fun book to read because every once in a while as he's telling these stories, he'll drop these one-liners and you're just like, whoa. And, and at one point he, he's telling these stories and, and he says, you know, there are some people that you only hold one memory for. And he's talking about people in his past that have offended him or his family in some way. And how for some reason, that's the only memory that he holds on to them about. Right? That memory that we save for, per, for people sometimes is a memory of an offense. Right? It's the boss who criticized you unfairly. Right? Maybe it's the stranger that rolled their eyes at you or the teacher who made you feel stupid, right? Now see, those are mine, and I didn't have to dig deep to write those out, right? Like, like if we had more time, I would tell you about Miss Woods, my third grade teacher who made me feel stupid in front of the whole class. I could tell you about the Dairy Queen worker who rolled her eyes at me just because I started up a, a conversation, or at least tried to, which you know, as an extrovert, is a cut to the soul, right? <laughs> right? Or, or maybe the, the principal who unfairly accused me of something that I didn't do, right? Like, like those are the memories that I hold on to, right? These are the memories that I hold in my offense and in my anger. These folks annoyed me, they upset me. I've grown resentful, even angry as I remember them. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this sound like familiar places you've been before? Here's a question that I want us to ponder before we dive into our text today, and it's this, what offends you, right? What makes you feel resentful, angry, right? Is it watching the news? Is it scrolling through social media? What kind of comments offend you? Is it comments about your faith, about politics, about racial reconciliation, about history, about, about theology? Is it when people make you feel stupid or make you feel less than them because of something that's completely out of your control? Right? Is it negative comments from teachers when you really did give it your best? What is it that offends you? Because what we're going to see today is that we all have this offense alarm, is what Christine Kane calls it. And it's this, an offense alarm is this, this feeling of being upset, annoyed, and resentful, and angry when someone says something or, or does something to us. And usually, when that offense alarm goes, off, goes up, does, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody else in here have an offense alarm, right? When it goes up, defenses go up, right? Right? When it goes up, defenses go up. We, we build walls and we either hide behind them or we use those walls to set up an attack mode, right? I've, 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 in my own heart, because I'm a little bit of a Star Trek fan, I'm not like a Trekkie, I'm like a Trek, right? I'm like <laughs> kind of there, but not fully. Um, when, when I was working with some counselors, kind of processing when, I, when this offense alarm goes up, and, and I do it, this image came to mind of, of like Captain Kirk on the, on the Starship Enterprise going like shields up, photons ready, right? Like that's what I do. That's what my fight mode does. It means shields go up. In other words, you can throw anything at me you want, but my photons are ready and they are locked on you. And I am going to come back at you with this full force. Now, what we're going to see, shocker, is that that's not necessarily a biblical response, <laughs> right? It is a human response, 
it is not necessarily a biblical response. And so church, with that in mind, what if, what if we could be an unoffendable people? Right? What if we could be unoffendable? What if, what if we could do, instead of going into fight mode, what if instead of fighting and hiding, we could embrace the qualities of the gospel of Jesus that are true in us? And instead of building walls that separate, what if we, what if we, if we strove for unity? What if we strove, in, instead of comfort, we, we embrace suffering with people? And stayed in relationship? What if, what if instead of avoiding confrontation, we worked for peace? What would that mean? What would that do? Well, let's, let's find out. Let's find out. Verse 24. Chapter 7, verse 24 says this. It says, And from there he, this is Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet. Uh, he he could not uh, did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden so so here's what Jesus does he goes to this upper part of Galilee uh, Tyre and Sidon which is this well populated area big city area think of that but it's also very much a Gentile area now Gentile if if the Bible's kind of new to you Gentile means that it you're not Jewish right it's that simple of a definition either you're Jewish or you're Gentile. Right? And so do me a quick favor, just so I know who's, who's here. If you're not Jewish, would you raise your hand for me? Right? Okay. Congratulations, you're Gentile. Right? In the scriptures, when you see them talking about Gentile, that's you. Now, let me ask you, did that offend you in any way to know that you're, at least according to ancient biblical times, you're not Jewish? Right? You're a Gentile. Which is good, because some translations use the word barbarian, but not this one, right? Not today, not today. That would, be, that would be too much, right? But Jesus goes to this area, and here's what he wants to do. He wants to not be noticed, right? He, we've seen his ministry so far, and we've seen, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, everywhere Jesus goes, crowds follow him. He is very much a celebrity. And so even though he wants to go to this place and find rest and solitude and kind of recharge, what Mark shows us is that the crowd knew he was there. Even in this Gentile area, the crowd knew that, that Jesus was there, and he couldn't go anywhere without people noticing. Well, look what, look what happens when he's in this, in this house. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Right? And so this woman heard that Jesus was in town, and she had just the problem for him to fix, right? She had a child who had a, a spiritual issue, and she knew Jesus is a spiritual man. This is a spiritual problem. We need a spiritual man to fix it. But, but Mark wants us to know something about her, right? Before uh, we, 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 we kind of move ahead, he, he wants us to know who she is. In verse 26, it says this. It says, now the woman was a Gentile. All right, so what does that mean? She's not what? She's not Jewish. That's right. Congratulations. Very good. All right? She's not Jewish. All right? Now, let me tell you a little bit more about what Gentile means. If you were a Jewish person and you were around Gentiles, oftentimes Jewish people considered Gentiles unclean, right? They didn't keep the kosher laws. They didn't do the things that Jewish people did. And as a matter of fact, even if you were a Gentile, which means what? 
not Jewish, good, you're still with me. Even if you were a Gentile and you believed in God and you went to the temple, you could only go so far in the temple to worship. I think we have a picture of the temple. Uh, it's kind of hard to see, but, um, but you know, you see the outer wall, right? People could enter the outer wall, everybody could. And then you see that big kind of courtyard area? That's as far as the Gentiles could go. They could hear what was happening in the temple, that real tall area. Uh, that's where the, the Ark of the Covenant was believed to be. That's where the high priest would do their stuff. Like that's where like worship, worship happened, right? And, and, and they could hear it going on and they could see it from a distance, but they were only allowed to go so far because even if they were a God-fearer, even if they, they, they followed the kosher's law, the kosher laws, they were still Gentile and couldn't go all the way into the temple. And so, as a matter of fact, that little wall that you see, if you can see it, you see the steps that lead up and then right before it is this little wall. That's as far as they could go, which if you look in Ephesians, when it talks about Jesus tears down the dividing wall, it's referring to that, right? That in Jesus... The worship of God is open to anyone. There is no separation. But this was before that happened. Jesus hasn't been crucified and, resur and resurrected yet. And so as a Gentile, this woman would be separated from the Jewish people. They could worship God, just not as closely as the Jewish people. We'll look at what else Mark wants us to know about this woman. Right Now, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Right now, Syrophoenician is, is Mark is letting us know where she's from, and, and Syrophoenicia is the is the area that if you look at Israel's history, Syrophoenicia was always a wealthy nation that always oppressed Israel. Like that's their history. They are the rich people who made us slaves. They are the rich people who oppressed us. They are the rich people who kept us down. And so this woman is not only a Gentile; she is from that. Uh, that nation uh, that has this history, and, it, and it's a long history. And, and the rest of verse 26 says this. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so this woman, who's separated from the Jewish community, who has a history of oppressing, oppressing the Jewish community, at least her nationality does. We don't know if, if she does or not. But Mark wants us to know she's from a people group that do and have, right? But this woman also has a real need. Like she is coming to Jesus for a reason, right? And this woman has no claim for Jesus to hear her, for Jesus to, to, to heal her daughter. She has no claim to that. She's not Jewish. Right? She's a Gentile. There's a long history. Y'all, she is us. Every person who raised your hand in here who is a Gentile, she is us. We worship a God that we have no claim to. And yet, he hears us. And yet, he loves us. And yet, he likes us. Right? That's the heart of God. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in her position? Have you ever begged God for something, for something that only he could do, right? Something that goes beyond your ability, something that goes beyond your bank account, something that goes beyond your energy, 
Like, that is Jesus' territory. Have you ever begged Jesus for something like that? If so, then you know the desperation that she has. Right? Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this. And he said to her, little, and he said to her, little children, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the, what word does he use? Dogs. Right? Now here's what Jesus told her in this short parable. Right? He said, children, let the children eat first. And children are the Jews. Right? That Jesus is telling them that he came for the Jew first. It makes sense because he is Jewish. Right? Like, like those are his people. He, he came for them first. Which is a pattern that's even followed in the New Testament. When, when you, you, know, you see Jesus' ministry, you see the, the crucifixion, you see the resurrection, you see him uh, um, uh, on earth teaching his disciples after the resurrection. And his last words, are, he tells them to go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey, every, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and I am with you every step of the way and as he tells them that they do that there's there's this persecution and they get scattered they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're scattered and every place that they go to plant new churches they always start in the synagogue first right because because salvation is for the Jew first and then the Gentiles that's what that's what Paul writes he writes for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Same power available to all, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, which means it's to the Jew first. Not that they're better, not that we're worse, it's just this progress that it, that it goes. It starts in the synagogue and then goes out. And then what would happen is if there wasn't a synagogue in a place, they would try and find, are there any Jewish people here? Like a prayer, oh, good, 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 let's go to them first. And then they would go to the city, Right? And Jesus is Jewish, so it makes sense. But let's not forget something. He says it's for the children first. In other words, he's saying it's not your turn, but your turn's coming. Right? He still gives hope. Anybody notice, and you said it, what, what did he refer to the, to the Gentiles as? If the children are the Jews, guess where the Gentiles are in this little parable? The dogs, right? Now, if you look at the original language, some people believe that what he's referring to is a little dog. So, depending on how you look at it, it could be a puppy or a chihuahua. One is one, uh, one is a lot more annoying than the other. But the point is, it's still a dog, right? Now, everybody who raised their hand earlier, how how do you feel? What do you think about Jesus calling you a dog? Right? Because that's what he just did to her. Right? It's a little bit offensive, isn't it? Now, here's the funny thing about offense, though. Right? We only hold on to offense when it's directed at us. Or maybe those close to us. Because here's what I mean. Last week, we saw Jesus call the Pharisees hypocrites. Anybody think, that is so offensive. I can't believe he did that. No, because you read the text and you're like, yeah, they kind of are. Right? Like, they deserve it. And they're Jewish. You know, they, they have this thing with Jesus and it's easy for us to disassociate from them. But this woman is us. Right? This woman is us. We can, we can connect 
with this woman who needs Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And it looks like he's going to snub her. Like, have you ever, have you ever needed Jesus to do something that only he can do and feel ignored by Jesus? If so, then you know the temptation here is to just pack your bags and leave, right? And just say, well, if you're going to say that, I'm out of here. And we could all understand if the parables in this story stopped right here, right? We could all understand if she just packed up and left Jesus right where she found him. Maybe you have done that with God. Maybe he has offended you in his word or in his theology or in his silence. And you have walked away from God. Or maybe you are toying with the idea of walking away from God. If so, I'm so glad that you're here today, whether you're watching or listening, I'm so glad that you're here because let me tell you about this woman. This woman has made a decision. She's made a decision that allows her to keep her defenses down so that she can can interact with Jesus and so that she can connect with him even if her alarm, offense alarm is going off because watch what she does, y'all. In verse 28, she says, But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Right? Now, we're going to unpack this statement because here's where we learn uh, how to not take an offense and hold on to it. Here's where we learn to embrace relationship. Here's where we learn to be unoffendable. Because you see, she made this choice. I think, before she ever walked in the house. And we see it here, is that this, that her choice was that, that my relationship with Jesus is more valuable than my offense, right? She made this choice that her relationship with Jesus was much more valuable than the offense that she just heard and perceived. Because you see, when our, our, our offense alarm goes up, we have to make a choice. And I pray that we make the same choice as her because, because our first way to keep us um, from, from leaving. Our first way to keep us from packing up our bags and leaving when things get uncomfortable is to know what's more important than leaving. Is the relationship more important than the offense, than the annoyance, than the upset feeling you get, than the bitterness, than the growing resentment? And y'all, just to be clear too, when I'm talking about offense, I'm not talking about abuse. That's a different sermon for a different day. I'm talking about the things that make you annoyed, resentful, bitter, and angry, right? Just so, just so we know. Well, look at what she says, because here's where we see the key. If you write down one word, I want it to be this word, because this is how we become an unoffendable people. This is how we, we don't let offenses fester in our heart. She says, yes, Lord. That's how she starts. Yes, Lord. You see, humility is agreeing with God, right? And she agrees with Jesus. She knows that what Jesus says is true, right? That's why she says, yes, Lord. And from her, we can also understand something very important about Jesus' role with us and with those who follow him and those who come to him. Jesus' job is to confront us. That's He's really good at it, right, if you let him. His job is to shape the way you think and behave. 
His job is to help you turn choices into habits that bring glory to him instead of yourself. And y'all, this idea of humility is what, keeps us, is what keeps us humble because it is stepping into the kingdom of God with the power that Jesus gives. It, it, Jesus, it is said of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he gave it up to become human like us. He exercised humility. We're going to see in a couple of chapters in Mark that if you were to sum up Jesus' ministry according to Mark, it would say that he came to serve, not be served. He is humility with skin on. Now what's interesting is you also see someone who who embodies pride. And we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 3 when God has created the garden and tells Adam and Eve that you can enjoy everything in the garden except the fruit of of, of these trees and and, and, uh, this tree. And, 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 And Satan goes, actually, you can be like God. If you disobey God. And we see that from the very beginning, his job was to infuse pride into the world because he's the king of it. Matter of fact, I think it's in Ezekiel that talks about him, pride being the reason that he left heaven was because he wanted to be God. Right? And so when that offense alarm goes up, y'all, I don't, I don't want to make this overly dramatic, but I'm going to just a little bit, right? Like, like, like when that offense alarm goes off, you have an opportunity to respond in humility like Jesus or to respond in pride like Satan. What we see here is she responds in humility and she agrees with Jesus. And so when Jesus confronts you, the question is, how are you going to respond? And so this question is for you. Does Jesus have permission to confront you, church? Does Jesus have permission to open up your Bible and you see things you did not even know were there that change your thinking and change your, your behavior to be more in line with him? Does he have permission to confront you? If so, then you can do this, because y'all, this is super cool. When she says, yes, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Anybody have kids and a dog? Right? Where does the dog sit during mealtime? Under the high chair, right? Right? Because buffet is open down here, right? Like, 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 this isn't just us. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, right? Right? But what she gets to do here is something we haven't seen in the Gospel of Mark. Every time Jesus tells a parable, what do the disciples do? Exactly. They go, what does that mean? Would you explain that to us, Jesus? Here is this Gentile Syrophoenician woman, Jesus gives a parable and she expands on it. Like she understood what Jesus was saying. And she is the first person in the Gospel of Mark that we see understand a parable. And Mark is showing us this. He's showing us that Jesus' ministry isn't just to the Jews, it's to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, Mark's showing us the Jews are missing it even the ones that are the closest to him. And yet this woman 
gets it. And she takes his parable and expands on it. She's fine being called a dog by Jesus. Because she knows even the dog gets a gift, right? See, what we see here is that through humility, and through saying yes to Jesus, when Jesus confronts, it's an opportunity to connect. Right? That's what humility does. When Jesus confronts us, it's not an opportunity to build walls and say, Jesus, you just don't know. God, you just don't know. It's actually an opportunity to connect with Jesus and to know him better. Right? And he does this to teach us and to grow us, and he grows us to be a better people, not only individually, but together. And she understands that by having this conversation with Jesus, right, she says even the dogs are being fed, that the buffet is open. She's saying even the Gentiles get something from you, right? Even I get something from you. And look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this, And he said to her, for this statement, you may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in the bed and the demon gone. Now, if, 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 if we were the ancient church and, and we were reading the letter of Mark, we'd go, <gasps> right? Like, wow, Jesus did something we've never seen him do before. Anytime he's cast a demon out, whether it's, 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 it's in person, like we've seen him do that, and, and, and he says the demon to gone. We've seen him like have a conversation with the demon and cast them out. We've even seen a person say their, their child was sick at a distance. And Jesus healed them from a distance and said, you know, like, like he took care of it. This is the first time he didn't have to say a thing. He just said, go home. Your daughter's well. He healed by just his will. And just his thinking, the demon left. That's why we would gasp too, because we see the power of God on display in a way we haven't seen it before. And Mark is showing us that this Gentile Syrophoenician woman who has no claim on Jesus got to see it. She got to see Jesus do something that nobody else has seen Jesus do. Church, when we humble ourselves before God, and before his word, right? When we connect with Jesus, allowing him to confront us, and we connect with him, we get to know him better. We get to see him do things that we didn't know he could do. You see, Jesus' first role in confronting us is to help us see him as he truly is and being the only cure for the sin that so easily entangles us, right? And sin is this biblical theological word which has lots and lots of nuanced meanings. It's kind of like Jew and Gentile, though, in the sense of it's actually very simple, too, right? Sin are those things that we do that God doesn't want us to do. And it's those things that we don't do that God does want us to do. That's sin. And we're drawn to it, aren't we? And Jesus breaks the power and breaks the penalty of that sin so that it doesn't have to be the driving force in our life anymore, that he can be instead. That, 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 that's the first way that Jesus confronts us is he wants us to know that he is the cure for our failures, our insecurities, and our pride, and that he is the only bridge between us 
in God. And there's no other bridge beside him to have a true and life-giving relationship with God. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, let today be the day that you do that. Let today be the day that, did my mic just go out? Test, test, test. There we are. All the technology people went just, why did that work? I have no idea. We just got to see Jesus do something. And he doesn't normally do. That's great. That's great. Um, uh, Where was I? If you haven't said yes to Jesus, say yes to him. Like, he's worth it. Right? Us being here together proves that Jesus is in the business of doing something that people couldn't believe that he would do. When they were on that hill in Jerusalem and Jesus said, go make disciples, they did not have Asheville, North Carolina, the year 2022, on their mind. And here we are. And here's something else that when we say yes to Jesus and we learn to let Jesus confront us, there's something else that happens. When we respond with humility to him, we begin to realize we can be unoffendable by each other as well. Right? Like that's the side bonus, is we can actually be unoffendable with each other. We realize that when we respond with humility to each other, when the shields come down and the photons are down, right, and and we're not responding with like this passive uh, anger, right, right, we're not responding with this passive anger that blames other people for our stuff, we're not responding with this prideful anger that just comes out full force, y'all, can you imagine, can you imagine a church full of people who decide that a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with each other is more important than the offenses that we can carry with each other? Can you imagine a church like that? And then, mind-blowing, can you imagine a church that says, even to the community around us, we're not going to let them offend them, we're going to love them the way Jesus does. Like, y'all, that's the stuff that changes a city. That's the stuff that changes the world. Right? Is this unoffendable love. Right? Now, y'all, this is super cheesy. I'm going to warn you. But what if we did this, right? Instead of offense, follow me here, instead of offense, building a fence. Come on, right, right? What if we let a relationship make a gate? So cheesy. (laughs) I know, I know. But here's what's going to happen this week because it's so cheesy. When your offense alarm goes up, you're going to picture a fence in your head. And it's going to have barbed wire on it, right? Or if you're, if you're from like Central and South America, it's going to have broken glass on the top of it. You ever seen those walls in different countries? Like those are serious to keep people out, right? What if instead there was a gate there? And the relationship with the Lord was more important. And the relationship with those around us was more important. You see, what if the world saw us as a humble people? That's a gate. What if the world saw what the church is for instead of what the church is against so much? That's a gate. What if we as a people chose love instead of anger? That's a gate. So this week, let's try to be like this woman and let Jesus say what he needs to say to us. And let's respond to him the same way she did and simply say, yes, Lord.
Are you in? I'm going to pray for us, and it's going to get real, right? Your fence alarm is going to go off, and you're going to blame me. And that's okay. Say yes, Lord, to Jesus. All right? Jesus, we are your people, and in this moment, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask you to change us. We ask you to even offend us with truth from your word. Not like, not like truth from, from, from other people, like that can be offensive, but, but let your truth that resides there speak to us. Let your truth in your word speak to us and let us see you in a way uh, that maybe we haven't seen before. Let us see you in a way that, that shifts our soul and, and, and shifts our life to be more in line with you so that you get the glory for it. Not for us, but for you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. As, as we uh, you know, respond to the, the words in the life of Jesus, let's just take a minute. Uh, as, as Fred was going through that, I was thinking, you know, the, the idea of being offended. You know, we, the book of Isaiah kind of stands out in the Old Testament, and, you know, it's one of the linguistically and, and, and written like one of the most beautiful, you know, uh, pieces of work in the Old Testament and ancient literature. We know that Isaiah was a, was a court uh, royal, so, so he was there, and he was definitely eloquent. We know by the way he wrote, by the way he spoke to people. He was a prophet chosen by God. And what's interesting is that uh, when God calls him to be his prophet, uh, Isaiah is confronted with, with God face to face. And the thing that God confronts him about is the one thing that he's most secure in because he says, oh, look at me, a man of unclean lips. Like, like the thing that he was the most proficient in is the thing that God confronted him in. And so, so as you know, we were talking, then, then God says something even more offensive. He says, hey, I'm going to send you. And, you know, who can I send? He says, here am I, send me. And he says, okay, I'm going to send you, but you're actually going to have a terrible ministry. Like, you're going to talk the thing you're best at, the thing I've just confronted you with, but no one's going to listen. It's going to be people, they're going to have ears, but they can't hear. And they're going to have eyes, but they can't see. And that was his whole ministry, was, was being offended, being confronted. But over and over again through Isaiah, it's beautiful because we see him coming back to the Lord, coming back to the Lord, coming back to the Lord. And so, uh, as Fred was talking, I just thought we'd take a minute. For a lot of us, it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, but we're going to take about a minute of just silence. And just ask Jesus what, you know, maybe Jesus throughout the sermon put something on your heart, confronted you with. Maybe it's the thing you're most proficient in. Maybe it's the thing you feel the most comfortable with. But what's that thing? And just, I would just encourage all of us just to ask Jesus, what is that? And then we're going we're gonna to worship G, uh, Jesus with a song that, that as, as a pastor, inviting you into to the altar, to the place where you meet God and allow him to confront you. Um, but we're going to start with singing, Oh, What a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? And then sing hallelujah and to bow down before him. So let's just take a minute and ask Jesus, what is that thing that he's confronting us with? Father, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory that you show us and you've given us to carry to the world. But Father, we know that while we were still in our sin, you sent your Son to confront our sin, to live the perfect life that we could never live on our own, to die the death and the penalty for sin that we deserve to die, and then you conquered our ultimate enemy of death.
by raising Jesus from the dead. And so, Jesus, as you come into our lives and make us more like you, you go room to room throughout our hearts, our mind, our soul, and you confront those things. Jesus, let us be more overcome by your beauty and your goodness and your grace and your mercy than by the sorrow over our sin. It's in your name we pray, amen.